Good morning. Be reading Proverbs 2, 1 through 22. Proverbs 2, 1 through 22. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search it for you as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom from his mouth, come knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He's a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the ways of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. For wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. Discretion will watch over you and understand will guard, understanding will guard you, delivering you from the way of evil, from the men of perverted speech who forsake the paths of uprightness to walk in the ways of darkness, who rejoice in doing evil and delight in the perverseness of evil, men whose paths are crooked and who are devious in their ways. So you will be delivered from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress with her smooth words, who who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God, for her house sinks down down to death and her paths to the departed. None who go to her come back, nor do they regain the paths of life. So you will walk in the way of good and keep the paths of the righteous. For the upright will inhabit the land, and those with integrity will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the treacherous will be rooted out of it. And if you would, from there, turn to the New Testament, the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 1. There were many texts out of Proverbs that we could have looked at, and I think we know that Solomon, likely the author of, the, of most of the Proverbs in that collection, uh, urges his son to seek wisdom. And the title of our message today and I'll give you two, two titles. One of them is a statement, one is a question. Wisdom, what it is and how to get it. And secondarily, wisdom, what is it and how do we get it? <clears throat> I don't plan to answer that comprehensively because wisdom is in fact a vast, vast subject. And as we discussed somewhat last week, uh, Brother Wendell, in the message in our evening conversation, in this age of... Google, YouTube, and Wikipedia, we're experiencing an explosion of information, of data. Forbes magazine recently reported that more data has been created in the past two years than in the entire human history that preceded it. And it's accumulating, piling up exponentially faster. In 2018, every minute, more than 300 hours of video are being uploaded to YouTube. 
300 hours every minute. And that is increasing in speed as well. And this information, this data is readily available and access to it is just becoming easier by the day. So that much of the kind of knowledge and data that has accumulated throughout the world over the last thousands of years, for many of you, is available right here with the few swipes of a finger on a small device that you have in your pocket or in your hand right now. And we are increasingly becoming a people of data. But life itself is also growing in complexity. And at the time of this rapid increase in knowledge and information, many contemporary thinkers of our day are decrying what appears to be an almost equivalent decline in wisdom. Knowledge is increasing from day to day, and wisdom is disappearing. Wisdom is what helps us to live well in this world of great complexity, in this world of exploding knowledge, and we will be quickly lost at sea if we don't seek after wisdom and gain wisdom to live well in our time. Scripture clearly lays out the need for wisdom, pretty much from cover to cover. And there's also a distinction made between the wisdom of this world and the wisdom of God. So one of the things we need wisdom for is the ability to discern what is godly wisdom and what is wisdom of this world. This text from 1 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to a church that is struggling to find true center, the place of rest and unity. They, not unlike us, live in an age and in a city of knowledge, wealth, and power. And they claim to be wise people. And they're making all kinds of very clear, strong assertions as to what they believe to be wisdom. They're claiming to have valuable insights juxtaposed against each other. But they're all confused about the main thing, the central component of their faith the central component around which they are to gather as a community of believers. And so Paul, in writing to them, the subject of wisdom rises to the surface and is a very prominent theme in the first two chapters particularly, but spills through the entire book of 1 Corinthians. Let's read uh, part of this text together here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and we're going to read verses 18 to 31. I had a hard time knowing where to start and where to stop. But we're going to pick that as a piece and, and dive into that section just a little bit more deeply. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly. And there's the antithesis of wisdom. Folly, foolishness. The word of the cross, what Brother Frank talked about. 
The message of the gospel, the word of the cross, is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise, and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. Where is the one who is wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God. I want you to catch that one more time. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And if you just look down into chapter 2, the theme of wisdom continues. And oh, we just, just can't go there. So this word wisdom appears in many different usages. There's the wisdom of men, there's the wisdom of this age. There's the wisdom of God. There are people who seek wisdom that are being foolish in their quest for wisdom. There are people whose wisdom is become foolishness. And yet, even the foolishness of God, did you know God had foolishness? The foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of men. There's all kinds of interesting, interesting lines in here. And then God chose... He wants you to pursue wisdom, but he chose what is foolish to confound the wise. And what is weak to shame the strong. But Christ, Jesus the Christ, became to us wisdom. Well, that sounds really nice. But what in the world does it mean? And what are the implications for us if we're going to be wise that Jesus became wisdom? So let's step back and ask the question, what is wisdom? And I'm going to give you just a little analogy, a metaphor for wisdom. I'm not sure how well it works, but we're going to try. Cars are increasingly complex in our day as well. The purpose of a car is to get you from point A to point B, whatever the B is that you choose. 
That's why cars were built, mostly. Some people now buy them to be seen. Some buy them for all kinds of other purposes. But practically speaking, the purpose of a car is to get from point A to point B. There are certain things you need to know if you're going to drive the car from point A to point B. Fortunately, one of them is not a full, complete understanding about the combustion engine. I'd, I'd never get anywhere. But there are some things you must know. One is that you know there has to be gas, or in my car's case, diesel, in the tank. That's If it's not there, I know. I have that much knowledge. I'm not going to get from point A to point B. Just no exceptions, of course, except for Tesla, which I was told recently by a Ford guy is all about being seen in a car because it's really just a $50,000 battery in a $20,000 car. So I know that I have to be able to chart and navigate the course from point A to point B. If I don't know how to get to point B, there's no point in starting up the car. If I don't have a device to guide me nowadays, I don't have to know the map anymore, unfortunately. You end up going places you have no idea how you got there because of GPS. But at least you have to be able to get there. You have to be able to navigate somehow. You also have to have the tires inflated. That could significantly delay or impede your progress. Discovered that also recently. In addition to that, you have to have some basic skills. It's not just enough to know this stuff. Because you could probably ask many four-year-olds in this room, does a car have to have gas in it? Yep, because they remember sitting beside the road when Dad you know, thought it would keep going, and they sat there, and he missed lunch, was late for lunch, or mom, whichever one of the family members it is that tends toward pushing the tank toward empty, they know the car needs gas. They know that you have to know how to get somewhere. They know that the tires have to have air in them. They know those things. But do they have the skills to drive that car? <laughs> no. No. And wisdom has some of the knowledge component and a skill component. It's not one or the other. So you have to have a certain amount of knowledge and then the corresponding skills required to get into the car to know how to turn the key. And let's assume this is a manual transmission, just the illustration is a little more powerful. You have to know how to manage the accelerator, the clutch, and the brake. And the wiser you are in that, the smoother the transition from start, stop to start, the transitions at traffic lights, and the final coming to rest in your destination. And if you've ever helped people learn to drive in a manual transmission, you know how terrifying it can be to be a parent of a teenager learning to drive. And what's lacking? Let's just be honest about it. what it is, is wisdom. Okay, they have some knowledge. They know some of the basic things, but it hasn't been translated to wisdom yet. And that is the corresponding set of skills that makes it a stress-free ride. Oh, and by the way, you also have to look out for fools on the road. Because believe me, they're out there. Now, you don't have to understand how the engine works. You don't have to understand exactly how the transmission works. You don't have to understand the bearings and all the stuff that a mechanic and a car enthusiast knows and will tell you. 
But if you're going to use a car to go from point A to point B, there are certain things you have to know and certain skills you have to acquire. You have to have a certain aspect of wisdom. Wisdom. You must actually then start the engine. Use the accelerator, release the clutch, release the brake in a nice smooth transition and find your way toward the destination. That's wisdom. Wisdom is both knowledge translated into action that leads to a successful move from point A to point B. It combines both of those aspects of knowledge. And throughout the Old Testament, wisdom always has a skill component to it. In the New Testament, written in a very Greek world, there is always a knowledge, kind of supernatural component to the knowledge that we receive by revelation from God, but it always translates then into lifestyle, into practice, into behavior, into skills that help you to lead a successful life. In this passage, we also have these particularly two kinds of wisdom, and they're noted throughout Scripture. Here it's called the wisdom of this world, the cosmos, and this is not the system of evil necessarily. This is the created cosmos, the world. And there's a certain wisdom inherent in the natural order that exists. And the wisdom of this world is simply the ability to acquire and discern truth about natural and supernatural matters. But here's the qualifier, without either the acknowledgement of, the assistance of, or the revelation of God. So the wisdom of this world basically excludes God in its quest for knowledge and understanding and living a successful life. And assumes that you can do it without acknowledging God without acknowledging that he exists, without paying any attention to him, without listening to him. Because, well, if he doesn't exist, you don't listen to someone who doesn't exist. That's the wisdom of this world. The wisdom of God throughout the Bible is always rooted in revelation because the God of the Bible is a God who speaks. He says things, and he has said things, and he will continue to say things. This God is a revealing God. So the wisdom of God is the knowledge from, that is, accompanies the wisdom of God or is rooted in the wisdom of God is always a knowledge of revelation. This God is speaking, and it provides us with the capacity and the basic tools for our rational thought, for our ability to discern and then to apply what we know so that we successfully get through life from point A to point B. We're able to live wisely. It's not just about some supernatural mystical experience or idea, but it's also the integration of that into life skills and life practice. The ideas and actions are fully connected, and the ideas that God communicates have implications for what we do, for how we live. And as disciples of Jesus, it's more than just knowing the things Jesus said. He made very clear in the Sermon on the Mount. It's more than that knowledge. It's 
obedience to that knowledge. It's how we live out the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That is what is wisdom. So the wise man had information from Jesus, and he obeyed the information he was given. And so he lived successfully. He built a house that endured the storm, that faced it and survived. Our challenge today is less a challenge of knowledge and information. It's, an, it's a challenge of converting that to traction on the ground, day in and day out, to live wisely in our increasingly complex world so that we're not destroyed by the chaos, confusion, and sin in our world, and even that of our own hearts. Now, the antithesis of this wisdom is foolishness and folly. And the, the term appears here multiple times in this text. And there's kind of a, there's kind of a scope of, of ideas present in foolishness. But basically, foolishness is simply the inability to profit from our experience and knowledge. Might have the same information as a wise person and do absolutely nothing with it. That's foolishness. Have true information, true even true revelation from God, and it has no impact on how you live your Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, how you relate to your wife, how you relate to your neighbor, how you, work, how you do your job at work. It has no impact there. And Scripture makes it very clear that disconnect is foolishness. It's folly. So no ability or a very poor ability to understand or to profit from the information and experiences that result in life decisions made without acknowledging God and His revelation and being out of sync with that. It's interesting that Scripture marks out childhood as the phase of life where foolishness is bound up in who we are. And he has specific things to say, the proverb writer specific things to say about how to deal with that. And it's discipline, rules, instruction, because that's what arrests foolishness. But the goal is not just to arrest foolishness. The goal is to move toward wisdom to become people of wisdom. Now, back to 1 Corinthians here. The key idea here in 1 Corinthians is God took the wisdom of this world and said it's foolishness. Because through the wisdom of this world, and in this context again, it's somewhat the quest of philosophy. We observe, we see, we use our senses, and then we deduct and deduce certain things as being true. And Paul says, you can do that your entire lifetime, and you're never going to get to the Jesus of the cross and of the empty tomb. You're never going to get there. But if you don't get there, if that is not the central component of all that you know, the Jesus who came into our world, the Jesus who died on the cross, the Jesus that was raised again, if that's not the central component of all that you know, you have only the wisdom of this world. And God has made the wisdom of this world as foolishness through the revelation of his son Jesus. God cannot be known. The ways of God cannot be discovered. The central message of God's saving work 
The person, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus will never be known through worldly wisdom. It will not be known in that way. It is something that is announced. It is something that is proclaimed. It is what we preach. And you are also called to preach the wisdom of God through the death, resurrection of Jesus Christ, to announce it to a world that is caught in worldly wisdom. And he says, it is hidden to those who seek to know through the wisdom of this world. It's hidden. The process of rational thought ignores that special revelation of Jesus who came into Palestine 2,000 years ago on our behalf. And when that central message is missing, or when it's diminished, that Jesus came, died, and rose again for our salvation, when that's missing, the fruit of it is confusion, chaos, quarreling, and all sorts of brokenness, just like the church at Corinth was experiencing. When the wisdom of God is declared, embraced, and then it governs the life, the trajectory is quite different because it is a reconciling wisdom. It is a redeeming wisdom. It is a salvaging wisdom that is announced through the good news of the gospel. And a little bit later in 1 Corinthians, Paul makes this strident statement. He says that when you embrace the wisdom of God, you can then judge all things. Okay, you embrace the message of the gospel that has come to us in the revelation of Jesus Christ, you can actually be the best scientist, the best philosopher in the world. Things of natural revelation, the wisdom of this world, comes together in the person of Jesus. And suddenly, all truth and reality is bound up together in Jesus. But you leave that piece out, none of it works. None of it works. And you'll never figure the central component out unless it has been announced to you. So the wisdom of God throughout all of Scripture hangs on God speaking, God revealing himself, and declaring himself so that he could be known. And he does it ultimately in the man Jesus. In the Old Testament, woman, I mean, pardon me, wisdom is personified as a woman throughout the book of Proverbs in many different places. In the New Testament, wisdom is embodied in a person, the God-man Jesus. So when you encounter Jesus, he is the full revelation of God. He is wisdom personified. And so when he says to you, Jesus says to you, Follow me. He's saying, abandon a world of foolishness and seek out a life of wisdom. And to the extent you follow Jesus, you take up a life of wisdom. So how do we get it? I just introduced you to the basic concept. But James Chapter 1, verse 5 has the most simple language to talk about wisdom. When you, and this is, this is not necessarily a state of foolishness, this is a state, a condition of humanity, when you lack wisdom. 
And be honest with me. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with the Lord. How often does that happen? You're just not quite sure what the next thing is. You know God says this. You know the situation is this. But what do I, in this time and place, do with what I know in a context in which I live? That's called a lack of wisdom. You need wisdom. It doesn't mean you're a fool. It just means you're human and you're lacking in wisdom. You have not had enough experience enough information, and been seasoned enough to know with absolute clarity what the right course of action is. And as parents, sometimes that you have this tool basket of discipline for your children. And now here is your child doing X, Y, Z on this given day, and these are your time constraints, and these are the things you have to get done. And, and you, you just say, what in the world am I going to do now? That's called a lack of wisdom. And what do you do when you get caught in that? James says, you ask of God. You ask of God. And what does he say about God? He said, God gives generously. Generously. To all. And he does so without reproach. He doesn't first say, ha, 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 ha. Yeah, you poor little creature. You're such an idiot. You don't get it, do you? No, he doesn't reproach you first and then give you wisdom without any reproach. He gives you generously and richly. Because, you know, people who ask for wisdom are actually demonstrating wisdom. It's the true state of our humanity. We're not naturally wise. And we know God is a God of wisdom. And we're humble enough to ask. It's also the spot at which your wife walks out to your workshop, carrying a drawer from a chest of drawers that's busted, broken, dysfunctional. And she says, hey, can you fix this? Well, I've never seen that drawer before in that particular state. I have some experience. I have some knowledge. And wisdom is the pathway by which I take the knowledge I have, the circumstances I'm in, and apply my skills to redeeming the drawer so that it's back into a useful state. That's also a biblical definition of wisdom. So God supplied wisdom to the construction of the tabernacle. He provided wisdom for the building of the temple. He provides wisdom for you to go out and be creative in the marketplace to take true ideas, a circumstance that you have never seen, but have the capacity by the wisdom of God to bring that knowledge to bear in a redemptive, healing, creative sort of way. That brings peace, reconciliation, restoration, or it brings about the fruit of righteousness, which is an outcome of wisdom. All of those circumstances are places where we lack wisdom. And when we're in a situation where we have a shortage of wisdom, how do we get it? We ask. We ask. How simple is that? But you know, just like the guy driving down the road who is lost and only his wife knows he's lost, 
he does not yet know he's lost. And he may never know he's lost. Why? Because he just won't admit it. That's foolishness. That's how we live before God as fools. But when we own our lack of wisdom and we ask, it's one of the fundamental qualities of wisdom. If wisdom is rooted in revelation, we obviously must also ask the question, what has God revealed? And I must remind you again, Jesus is the culmination of all of that. So Jesus is always the right answer. And it's always the first answer. Secondly, he has also spoken in ways that have been preserved for us, kept for us, passed down to us in Scripture. And wisdom is never divorced from knowledge. So knowing Scripture, knowing the ways of God, important part of wisdom. So know it, read it, immerse yourself in it, and live in its story. So when you're lacking wisdom, one of the things you want to consider is, here's the story God is writing in the world. He created a world of beauty and goodness. It's broken because of our rebellion against God, and yet God intersected our rush to hell, our rush to destruction, with the sacrifice of his son Jesus. And through the reconciling work of Jesus is bringing things back to himself. And he's going to get the job done in a new heavens and new earth. So in this situation, I'm finding myself lacking in wisdom. What does Jesus have to say to me? How does it fit in this story? When there's sin, suffering, and brokenness? Well, that makes sense because of Genesis 3. But if I'm a part of the reconciling work of God in the world through Jesus Christ, then what I do needs to be reconciling, restoring, redeeming, whether it's forgiveness, letting go, whether it's confronting unrighteousness, speaking truth in love, whether it's bringing the healing touch, a compassionate care. Okay, and who did this better than any human being that's ever walked the earth? Jesus. Because he took the purposes of God perfectly into every conversation, into every relationship. So learning to know this Jesus guides us so that we can live a wise life. We can live wisely in a world of foolishness. So how does the gospel, that big story, how does it inform? That's one way that we bring the wisdom of Jesus to bear in our situations. Also, you need to know the fruits of wisdom. When wisdom is truly played out, what does it look like on the other side? Again, James makes it very clear. It is first pure, peaceable, easy to be entreated, full of good fruits. It's compassionate. It's gentle. Is that what, ha is that what happens on the other side of wisdom? Then you'll know who's wise when that's the wake that comes after them. Healing, reconciling, redeeming, salvaging. Matthew 11, very interesting line. Wisdom is justified by her deeds. Luke 7, wisdom is justified by her children. And I'm just going to summarize it by saying, wisdom leaves awake. Wisdom leaves evidence. And that evidence is clearly, clearly pointed out.
in James chapter 4. Pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And then we must also acknowledge that wisdom is a product of learning by experience. And that's one reason children don't have it, and old people are more inclined to having it. And you note my caution. Just because you're getting old doesn't mean you're getting wiser. Not everyone learns from their experience. And those who will not learn from those experiences, Scripture just simply calls fools. But the natural progression in the, in the scheme of God's work is from foolishness to wisdom as he imparts knowledge and understanding to his people who walk experientially in the world and become more wise. Where are the gaps you have right now? Where are the places that just give you pause and say, I really don't know what I ought to do? I have no idea which of these things I ought to go after. That, my friends, is a lack of wisdom. Now, if you know and don't do it, that's a lapse of wisdom. And a lapse of wisdom, the technical term for it is foolishness. Foolishness. But if you lack wisdom, if there's a gap between you, what you know about God and the gospel of Jesus Christ and the circumstances that you face. Now, let's be honest, we all have those gaps. The answer to the gap is wisdom. And it's a wisdom that comes from God. And God has said, if you'll be humble enough to say, I lack wisdom here. You ask, he is a God of revelation. He speaks. And his voice may come into your inner being by his spirit through a word of wisdom from scripture, through the counsel of a friend. But you must be open and asking in order to receive wisdom. Are you seeking wisdom? It's not enough to ask Google, Siri, or Alexa. All you will get is information, data. Seek wisdom. Follow Jesus. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Lord, we do live in a world of complexity, and none of us have ever been on the pathway that we're walking down right now. Even those who are wise among us have walked with you for many years, are facing new, uncertain, and challenging situations and circumstances in our current time and place. Lord, each of us need wisdom. And based on what you've told us in Scripture, we know that wisdom will not come unless we surrender to the Jesus of wisdom. We acknowledge our sin and brokenness and accept his righteousness. We surrender our thrones and kingdoms to become servants in his kingdom. And then we listen and obey his voice 
and you will lead us on a path of wisdom. Lord, may we seek wisdom. May we ask for it. May we search for it. May we knock with persistence so that we might live wisely in a fallen world and so bring honor and glory to your son, Jesus. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.